welcome to the podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. Good morning to all who are gathered here today. My name's Mike McNichols, and I, I currently serve as the interim pastor here at the Vine. And it's, it's really a joy to be with you. And for those of you who are actually here on Sunday morning, November 1st, we are live right now. And uh, so glad that we could do this together. Now, if, if you are new to the Vine and you would like to get more information or find ways to connect, you can just email us at hello at thevineoc.com. And, and someone will be happy to respond to you. You know, there are all kinds of things going on at the Vine, even though we're not currently able to meet on Sundays. Uh, on Tuesday nights from 7 to 8, we're meeting in online small groups for a time of worship and reflection and sharing and prayer. And if you would like to join with us, and we'd love to have you do that, just go to our homepage and click on Vine Midweek Gathering, and all the information that you need will be there. And you can also email us again at hello at thevineoc.com, and we'll send you the Zoom link for Tuesday nights. We have also been meeting uh, twice a month on Saturday evenings at Hillcrest Park in Fullerton for a little picnic and a time to share the Lord's Supper together. Now with the time change, uh, which happened last night, we will be meeting uh, on Sundays at noon. And this month we'll gather on uh, Sunday, November 8th and Sunday, November 22nd at 12 o'clock and we will share the Lord's Supper at around 1230 and our children are involved in everything as well. We have weekly online small groups that are specially designed for our kids uh, with loving and dedicated leaders guiding them through their time together. The Laundry Shower Ministry continues to serve our friends in need, gathering on the, on the first and third Saturdays of the month. And today at, at noon, we will be gathering on Zoom for our monthly prayer time where we lift up the needs of, of our church and our nation to God. And if you'd like to join in with us today, just send a request to hello at thevineoc.com and a meeting ID will be sent to you. And now let's uh, enter into a time of giving. We believe that, that generosity is part of our worship to God. And we give so that our, our church's shared life of worship and ministry is sustained and continued. Our giving is actually a response to the generosity of God whose love grace, and care has been poured out upon us. So let's pray as we prepare to give. Praise God from all blessings flow. Praise Him, O Now a, uh, a reading from St. Paul's letter to the people of the church in Rome. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. 
And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if, in fact, we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And my friends, this is the word of the Lord. And now from the Gospel according to Matthew. And Jesus is speaking, and he says, And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you're praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. And this is the gospel of the Lord. <clears throat> Imagine for a moment this scenario. A little girl, having scraped her knee while playing outside, comes into her house and she asks her father to tend to her, her scrape, to her wound. But her father only glances at her and, and then just returns to scrolling through texts on his phone. But the girl persists and she explains to her father that her knee really hurts and would he please help her. But the father just stares at her. He takes a sip of his coffee, doesn't say anything. And then offering up her limited knowledge about possible infections and permanent scarring, the child sheds tears as she pleads for help. And her father just looks out the window, watching a couple of squirrels at play. And finally, the girl threatens to tell her mother when she returns from the grocery store about her father's failure to act. And the father finally just sets down his coffee cup, goes to find some antiseptic and some bandages, hoping to stay out of trouble with his wife. Sometimes people in Jesus' time viewed prayer in a similar way. Even in, in, in our time, some can view prayer that way. They were very hard to get the attention of the God who seems preoccupied with other things and who fails to act until he's sufficiently pestered or, or threatened with accusations of theological inconsistency. You know, it, it should be no surprise to us that prayer factors significantly in Christian faith and life. The Bible is permeated with prayer, and, and we who follow Jesus know that we are called to be a people of prayer. And yet, many of us struggle with prayer. Surveys have shown that pastors in particular tend to have a dismal prayer life. On the other hand, there are some people who luxuriate in prayer, finding that time seems to have no bearing on them as they engage in deep conversation with God. 
And yet others wonder why it seems too difficult to spend even a few minutes in prayer. Few would say, along with the great reformer Martin Luther, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Setting aside an extended time for prayer at the beginning of a very demanding day seems counterintuitive to most of us. Well, Jesus' words about prayer in the middle of the great Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew are rather startling in their simplicity. They appear to be an intentional contrast to the way that prayer had been distorted, not only by the Gentile community, but also by some of the Jewish religious leaders. He characterizes the religious leaders as often using prayer as, as performance art, offering their words on street corners or so that passersby would be impressed or in the synagogues so that those gathered would be impressed by their great words. And, and for the Gentiles' part, they were seen as ones dependent on a, on a lot of verbiage, ongoing pleadings designed to get the gods to do something, to do anything. And the one praying never had the assurance that the deities ever took notice. But Jesus offers a very different picture of prayer. In opposition to prayer as self-promotion or endless begging, Jesus directs his followers to pray in a quiet, secret place, even a, a hidden place. Such a hidden place in many ancient Hebrew homes could have been the equivalent of, of a bedroom, perhaps, or, or even something akin to a, a storeroom, which would be a significant contrast to a public street corner. Now, it's not likely that Jesus was making a new rule about prayer being done only individually and only in a storage closet, but rather that he was rescuing it from the distortions he had described and set it in a context of quiet intimacy with God the Father, who knows what we need before we ask him. And Jesus showed that prayer is not meaningful because it is showcased before an audience or because it's a repetitious pleading that tries to force God's hand. It is meaningful because it is engagement with the God who knows us, loves us, and cares for us. But the question often comes up. So if, if God knows what we need before we ask him, then why do we have to go to all this trouble? Why, why do we really have to bother with prayer in the first place? Can't God just take care of things without us going to all this trouble? Well, it, it seems that how we view prayer says more about how we think about God than how we think about prayer. According to the accounts in the Bible of God's work in the world, he he doesn't seem to do much without summoning his people into what he's doing. Prayer is not the way that we alert God to our needs or to the needs of others, as if he's asleep and we need to wake him up to the urgent dramas that are happening here on earth. Prayer is an invitation from God to bring our concerns to him who knows what we need more than what it is that we want. Have you ever thought about prayer that way? As a conversation where God sorts out what it is that we think we need or what we think others need and then guides us into what he knows that we actually need?
some years ago, I uh, spent time with a counselor who specialized in working with pastors. And at one point, she gave me the assignment to list all of the things that I had believed. That is, all the things that I had hoped for, things that I hoped would happen in ministry, but they hadn't happened. So I did that. And quite frankly, it was a pretty long list. And then she had me focus on one particular thing I had written about that I believed, that a lot of new people had not come to faith in my church. It wasn't that new people didn't show up. It was that most of them were already Christians and had come from other churches, and that was okay. But like a lot of other pastors, I had hoped that there would be many people coming to faith in my church and there'd be new Christians all over the place, right along with those good seasoned veterans. Now, now, certainly some had come to faith, but it just hadn't turned out as I had imagined. Well, wanting to take responsibility for this disappointment and not cast blame on anyone or anything else, I wrote, I'm not very good at drawing people to the church. And the counselor looked at that and she says, okay, uh, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to leave you alone for a while in the room. I'm going to shut the door. I'm going to go get a cup of coffee and uh, I'll come back in about 15 minutes. And here's what I want you to do, she said. She said, I want you to sit quietly and I want you to ask God to tell you what he thinks about these things. What does God believe about these things? And she left. And I, I complied. I mean, that's why I signed up for this in the first place was to be cooperative. But I have to confess that I did not expect anything to happen at all. 15 minutes? Really? That couldn't possibly be enough time for me to hear anything at all from God. But it was. After she left and closed the door, I, I settled in and, and I tried to be attentive to God. I, I told God about my concerns and asked him what he thought about my responses. And just as clear as anything, these words popped into my head, into my mind. It is not you who draws people. It is me. It, it seemed like it just shot in from somewhere outside of my head. And I trusted that it was God. And it was an amazing experience for me. And it was repeated over and over as I prayed through my long list of beliefs over the next few weeks. And I began to realize that I thought I knew what I wanted. But God knew what I needed. See, I wanted to despair over not finding the secret code for making my church grow as I had hoped. But God knew that I needed to trust him. And I discovered this in prayer. You know, the Lord's Prayer, something that we pray every week together, it's a great example of trusting God for what we truly need. Jesus begins by, by counseling his followers to pray in this way. This is not to turn the prayer into a rigid formula. After all, Jesus prayed in several different ways in the gospel accounts. Rather, he's saying to pray in this fashion, in this manner. The prayer has a similar structure to a Jewish prayer that was commonly prayed in synagogues, so it, it wouldn't have been entirely novel to Jesus' disciples when they heard it. And that common synagogue prayer read something like this, Exalted and hallowed be his great name in the world which he created according to his will. May he establish his kingdom in your lifetime and in your days, 
and in the lifetime of the whole household of Israel, speedily and at a near time, and say, Amen. Well, Jesus restructures and reorients this prayer in a very important way. Rather than making it about God, a declaration about God, he addresses it directly to God and says that we can do the same, that we can address it to God and call him Father. The prayer moves from declaration to intimate engagement with God. Now, the prayer certainly makes requests of God for daily bread, for forgiveness, for avoiding a time of trial, such as Israel's extended wilderness experience or their times of exile, all of which came about because of Israel's unfaithfulness. Don't want to do that again. Uh, it asks for a rescue from the evil one, whether such evil is referring to Satan or evil that is manifested through tyrants or by oppression or, or just in the general evil of the world at large. But all of this is preceded by something very important, and that is Jesus' assurance that God hears us and cares about us, and the recognition that God, whose name is hallowed, exalted, set apart from all other names, is bringing his kingdom to bear on the earth as it is in heaven. You know, there's a sense in the prayer that uh, of looking ahead when, when God's kingdom will truly come in its fullness. It's oriented toward the future indeed. But, but Jesus has already made it clear that the kingdom is near, that it's at hand, that it's being known through his work and his ministry. And our prayers are to be grounded in the expectation of that reality. Our prayers are offered in response to the God who is already present, already at work, already bringing his purposes and intentions to bear upon the world in general and in our lives in particular. The coming of the kingdom of God is a really big deal in scripture and it's a big deal to us. It ought to be a big deal to us. And yet, Jesus makes prayer, our engagement with the king of the kingdom, something stunningly simple, even brief, and clearly accessible to everyone. Now, I've been thinking a lot lately about the simplicity of prayer. Uh, in the movie, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, uh, which I recommend to you very highly. Uh, Tom Hanks plays Mr. Rogers, the famed children's show host. And it was known that Rogers, who was a, an ordained minister, that as he learned the names of the children who made contact with him, he prayed for each child by name. And in one scene in the movie, Mr. Rogers is kneeling at his bedside, laying down one index card after another, and simply speaking out the names written on the cards. Now, for the most part, he didn't know what those children needed, but he was confident that God did. And so he brought each one by name to God in prayer. You know, I've actually taken this practice up in my own prayer time. I pray for my neighbors, for my family, for others in my life. I pray for you. I know about some needs, but, but there's a lot I don't know. 
And so I speak out names to God in prayer, knowing that he is aware of those needs. And I'm just joining in with God as he carries the needs of people within himself. You know, I'm, I'm wondering if by making prayer seem so simple, so accessible, that Jesus was actually inviting us into the beginning of an adventure. In my mind, I, I'm, I'm kind of a, a imagining someone being invited to, to visit a, a huge mansion. Uh, and, and the visitor opens the door and, and steps into an entryway. Uh, it's, it's a warm yet simply decorated space. And, and the visitor can, if, if desired, just stay in that space. Uh, maybe sit a while and study a piece of antique furniture uh, across the room. Uh, look at a painting that's on the wall, and, and maybe that's enough for that particular visit. But the visit, visitor continues to return to the mansion, continues to enjoy that simple entryway, but one day leaves that cozy space and visits the great room and, and discovers beautiful treasures that bring surprise and delight. And then in other visits, a library is discovered, and then a kitchen where, where feasts are created. And there are lavish rooms upstairs and all kinds of wonders to experience. Maybe the simplicity of prayer is like that. It's a beginning place, not an ending place. The simple beginning of prayer opens a door to all kinds of possibilities. And God, whose kingdom is at hand, is already present in every space, every room, every discovery along the way. You know, I'm beginning to look at prayer as the way that we recognize the reality of God's kingdom, his rule and reign. The kingdom is already here, already near, already at hand. And in prayer, we engage with the God of that kingdom. Uh, now, our early steps into that grand space may be tentative, even clumsy at times, but, but we're still welcomed in, just as we are. But over time we discover that the kingdom is more expansive than we've ever imagined, and that it's much more than an abstract religious concept. And we begin to notice signs and wonders everywhere as God draws us into himself and into the work that he's doing. And whether our prayers are requests or praises or thanksgivings or protests or even laments, we are welcomed to come before the Father who knows what we need before we ask him. Even just crying out those words of endearment, Abba, Father, is confirmation that we are God's children. And God, who by his Spirit never leaves us or forsakes us, even steps in and prays on our behalf when we lack sufficient words. Isn't that just amazing? The God who summons us to himself not only receives us in our failings and our limitations, but also empowers and sustains us as we pray. You know, if there ever was a time to let go of the idea of prayer as a laborious human effort, it would be right now, my friends. God's grace and generosity are more than mere theological ideas. They are poured out to us, and we are rescued from 
anxiety and self-imposed legalisms that often try to shackle us to the ground. Grace and generosity shape our engagement with God in prayer. We come to him not in terror, not in carrying a load of guilt because we're pretty sure we just can't get it right. We come to him in openness, assured of his care and his sustaining, empowering love. Prayer for us is sign and wonder of the kingdom that is at hand. Let's now turn together in a prayer of truth-telling about ourselves. Formally, we call this confession. God not only knows what we need before we ask him, he also knows our failings and our weaknesses. And so we come before him, already assured of his love and his forgiveness. And so we pray. God, our Father, you are everything we desire, the everything we do not deserve. You are the love we have yet to find, the peace beyond imagining. You are the breath of life, enlivening the hardest heart. You are the vibrant color illuminating the darkest dawn. You are the truth that calls in quiet whisper and through storm. You are the precious moment we reach out and touch your hand. For those days when we forget, forgive us. When life distracts and focus shifts, forgive us. When self imposes its own will, forgive us. When our praise and worship fail to please, forgive us. Embrace us once again, we pray, in sweet and loving fellowship with you. Amen. And now, may the Lord enrich us with his grace and nourish us with his blessing. The Lord defend us from trouble and keep us from all evil. The Lord receives our prayers and forgives us our offenses. For the sake of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.